BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on TDR, Rogan versus the world, Michigan's same-sex adoptions, and Biden's SCOTUS nominee. The biggest podcast host on earth has amassed a number of high-profile enemies. Are we witnessing the world's largest slow-moving cancellation? Or are we engaging in a needed conversation to balance freedom of expression with public health? Is the state's recent ruling allowing Catholic adoption agencies to continue their policy against placing children in same-sex households an example of properly distancing church from state? Or is it simply evidence of unsavory legal discrimination? And finally, did our president prematurely misfire when he committed to only nominating a black female to the highest court in the land? Or is he simply keeping his word and executing on a noble campaign promise? This and more this week on TDR. How are you feeling? Good. Good. So the kids COVID free? Yeah. I tested this morning. Oh, I know. You were saying that. That's good. Did I tell you that already? Yeah. You I told it, you I was negative? You said it in a call. Oh, you know what? I totally forgot that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you mentioned it in a call. Yeah. That you uh, in the the one with uh, OC? Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. First uh, first test that I took uh, that's been negative in two weeks. That's crazy how it just takes so long, right? Dude, I, I, my wife has and told that, me- Was story. that the PCR or was that No, the, it was the antigen one. The antigen. I've only done one piece, well, maybe two of the PCR ones. Like when I went to the doctor and actually had like a proper one to check for antibodies <laughs> yeah. initially and all that stuff. Um, but the rest have just been the home ones. I've had like a variety of them, but basically the home test. Since the last time I saw you in person, I've already gotten tested three times for the PCR and test. And are you going to give all me negative. COVID again? All negative. <laughs> I mean, maybe. There's, there's a chance, but- at this point, it's always a chance. But. I do want to know, though, like, I, 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 you know, just because I'm curious, I uh-huh. certainly wouldn't, like, want to track anybody. But it, it w- I would like to understand, like, where, where I got it from. You know what I mean? Like, what was the, what was the, the point of connection? Because I, I, I wasn't able to, like, in my mind, piece that together. And I'm like, thinking, right. well, it could have been, it could have been a lot of things, frankly. You, you, know? you were doing all the moves and everything, right? That That's true. That's probably the, the one. Yeah. Intera- maybe, right? That's probably interacting with people that I typically don't interact with mm-hmm. in, in all those different moves. But uh, but anyway, so I did take that this morning just to make sure that you were aware. So the kid's Good. clean <laughs> for the time being. We'll see. Like I said, my buddy got it three times. 
<laughs> so <laughs> that's just that's just terrible luck. Poor guy. That's that's not uh, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, by the way, did you see that the USFL is relaunching? I did not. No. You, you didn't see the commercials in football. Did you watch football this weekend? You watched football. I did, but yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't notice that. I must have been right before I started. I think I told you I started watching the Rams game a little late, second quarter. Uh-huh. And I didn't. And I missed entirely the the Chiefs game. The original U.S. Football League, like from back. I don't know if you remember this. Back in the, I guess it was maybe late '80s. Um, in fact, uh, O.G. Simpson fa- very famously played for the USFL at one point. But it was this, it was like a Challenger League. It was like in the 80s when they were? The original one. The original one, yeah. I don't remember that at all. So I never watched it. I I know it existed, but I remember anything about ever seeing any. Like a lot of these leagues, these startup leagues, it was a relatively short-lived experiment. Like the original XFL, but they're they're launching this spring. But the original XFL had like some, you know, pizzazz to it. When oh, they launched, for sure. You yeah, know? yeah, and now they're relaunching again, but not until tw- the spring twenty three. But mm-hmm. spring twenty two, the USFL is launching. So now, inside of the next eighteen months, we're going to have the NFL, the USFL, and the XFL. I think it's great, fr- frankly. I mean, I don't know if you could support all three leagues, mm-hmm. but there is. Um, I think there is a lot of need for. And a lot of interest in more football content. Yeah, there's and, more appetite. And especially, look, coming off of what's happening right now in the playoffs, this has to be one of the best playoff runs that we've had in a while. It's the best football I've seen in You've seen my whole life. ratings going up, yeah. the amount of consumption of it. Games, the, very tight games. The parity you know, between the teams is yep. so close yep. at this point. And that makes it all fun. Yeah. You know? Obviously, I have huge news earlier today with Tom Brady making it finally official about him stepping down. Which is, you know, the, the end of an era. And, and that was an interesting conversation, right? Because it was, it was officially reported by ESPN. And then he came out and said, oh, I haven't said anything officially. Yeah, I, I think he just wasn't ready. And then I, he, I think he was working on the, it on the wording. Yeah. Uh, but then, it, but the, to ESPN's credit, they never took it back. Like, no, no, we're sticking to it. Yeah. So they obviously, they knew. They had inside information. And I'm sure Tom Brady was pretty upset. I still haven't read the, the rationale. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Like, yeah, you tell me right post. now is the first I've heard of this today. Yeah, yeah. He put it on, on Instagram and uh, had a pretty long post talking about it. I thought it was, it was really well done. The, probably the biggest takeaway, if there's any kind of controversy, is he never mentions the Patriots or Bill Belichick, which is kind of not cool. You know, mm. I, I know he kind of – it feels like he kind of ended it not in great terms, but – the reality, the majority of his success is tied directly to his relationship with Bill Belichick. Yeah, but I think he proved and got out of his system the fact that it wasn't just the Patriots and it wasn't just Belichick. Like, he went and no, he you're right, you're right. It was, killed it in, in Tampa you're, Bay. You're right. It wasn't just just that. Mm-hmm. But when you look at his success, in the, in the yeah. 90% of his success was tied to one team, one coach, one system. I think at least at least a nod to the Patriot organization would have probably would have been. What's nice. amazing about this last playoff game that they were in? Who they played? They played it was Bucks and it was the Rams against the against the Rams. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, the, the they, big comeback. They came back. I mean, he had that thing in the bag, and there was that one long pass in overtime, and they kicked that field goal. But it was within a hair's breadth. And here's this guy, not just being competitive, right. not just getting to the playoffs, not just getting deep into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. But then coming back from a deficit and almost pulling it off again. And it's like so much of it with him is his mystique, right? Like he's so good in those in those clutch moments that it makes the other team nervous. It's like every little mistake that can happen happens, right? Because the reality is the Rams should have killed him. They were blowing him out, and they should have blown him out. Yeah, it was a combination of fumbles from people that don't normally fumble. We talk about about Cooper uh, Cup. Cooper Cup fumble the ball. The running back fumbled the ball, and they were like bad fumbles. Like why not the clock running through the line with one arm on the. On, on the ball. Like, it like, it's like, like, like little mental mistakes yeah. that 
allowed you know the the you know the the buccaneers to get back into it but i think that's what made him so good is it because everyone knew that he's on the other side it's like they're never out of it how would you and he's not gonna make mistakes like he is gonna do everything in his power to put that team in a a great position how would you play it are you of the uh, philosophical bent that like you retire on top you just like you retire on the top or would you play it until you know you've lost that step and you just can't keep up because just objectively, as a fan and as somebody who's looking critically at this man as he plays, because I'm looking more critically at him than I would any other quarterback, frankly. Right. I look at him and I go, dude, that guy was st- pretty much step for step. In fact, in that game against the Rams, he had no friggin' weapons. He only had Gronkowski. Everybody yeah. else was, like, injured. I, I, I think of it more as, an, um, you know, fire in the belly. To what degree is that fire in the belly still there? Th- there is no uh, question that skill set, ability performance are all at the very top. He is right there with everybody else. Strategy too. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what makes him so good, right? Because he can say now that his physical ability is less than, you know, many of the of the top quarterbacks. He can say that, right? That's just, that's, yeah. But, but his, but he, that gets over, over, or replaced uh, by how, you know, how he understands the game, understands defense, all the strategy piece, right? And the mistake that people are just know that at any moment, he's not going to make the mistake. They have to make the mistake, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and even the physical part of it, though, because he hasn't necessarily been that kind of quarterback that, like Mahomes, when he starts getting older, you're going to tell. Oh, for sure. You're yeah, going to yeah. see it. His game will be really impacted. Yeah. The, actually, the, I was hearing one of the games they were talking about about Brady, and part of what makes him good is his ability to just dump the ball off, get those shorter gains. It's not about the really deep ball, right, that you see some of these folks like you know, like Mahomes and, and other, other people, right? Mahomes' combination of, of physical abilities of being able to move around and throw these really awkward passes the reality is that's going to, you know, that may go first. Yeah. And the, then what, right? You need to have to adjust your game, right? Nothing you can. And I'm sure these players, basketball is a great example of that. You know, as basketball players get older, even like a Kobe Bryant when he retired, like a lot of that really physicalness started to go away. So then he became much, much better of kind of picking his spots and still scoring a bunch of points, right? Yeah. So they could adjust. But, yeah, I, I think it has to do with fire in the belly. And, and if you've read his comment, it was much more along the lines of that. Yeah. Which is if he doesn't feel like he's 100% committed to the team and to into this experience that he feels it's time to step away. That's probably and, the and right way to do you it. You know what? I think that's awesome, man. Yeah. I think it happens so little times. You know, we just had Roethlisberger also um, retire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's one that his physical abilities had definitely deteriorated. For sure. He kind of looked like your like fat uncle at, at some point. That's what I, I used but to But it was ju- he was always kinda like that. It's just that he has yeah, he kind was. of an arm. He you was, know? He was the most was. the most sacked quarterback in during his Yeah, because he can't period. move, right? Yeah. But but he's also, he's also he's like hard to bring eight down. feet tall and he weighs three hundred pounds. Yeah. And, but I could throw the you know, I could put it anywhere, could right? Throw that so, rock. so look, I, I, I really give him kudos. I I was a longtime hater of Tom Brady. Mm. But I think it was more Was it Brady or was it Patriots? I was I was in the Tom Brady hater camp, but it wasn't actually Tom Brady that I was really hating. Yeah, me like, too. W- once me you too. once you started packing it, yeah, you're, it was you're Belichick. In, yeah, you're in the hater camp of like these people somehow always figure out a way to win, and I hate that. And I, I also hated the fact team. that you know one of his first maybe his very first uh, um, Super Bowls was based on the on basically robbing the Raiders through this tuck rule that it was like complete crap, mm. right? The Raiders should have had a championship that year, mm. right? They were the better team. but So that kind of started that. And then Belichick in general, I'm just not a fan of him, even though I have, of course, a lot of respect for what he does and how good he is. But with Tom Brady, it is really amazing to see this. I don't know if we're ever going to see it again. No. I mean, is, is he in your goat of goats conversation? He has to be. I don't know who you put higher than him in any sport. Well, you can maybe like Lionel Messi. 
It's, it's really five Ballon d'Ors. I mean, he has, just hasn't won a World Cup with Argentina, but, but that's, that's not it. But but that's the thing, though, Charlie. Is when you think about at the end of the day, when people look at all the personal accolades, say yes. But how do those personal accolades translate into winning? Yeah, into bringing success, doing it in multiple teams, changing the entire culture. The Buccaneers sucked for years. They did, and since basically with, since they won with, the Super Bowl, even with talent, they True. sucked for years. True, and to change that culture is like the guy come in is like okay. And now we go to the Super Bowl. And now we're going to we're going to win it. And we win it. Yeah. And then we come close, damn near close the second time too. Pretty, pretty, with no tools. Close. With no pretty tools. I, it's really hard for me to put anyone else higher than that yeah. because of that. I would put I mean it might go to There's go, like a lot of people that are in that, you know, that are in that in yeah. that realm that are really really good and they're awesome but even to think about those guys that like, long in yeah. his career, that long, that much success. The he guy would be had, up there for sure for me, but you've got other people like you got Gretzky You've got Lionel, Lionel Messi. You've got uh, Tiger Woods. You've got um, sure. uh, what's the guy's name? The uh, tennis guy, uh, Nadal. Nadal. Sure. Um, but he's got to be in that first or second ballot, no question. I mean, in terms of goat of goats. I, yeah, I have a hard time putting anyone above him at this point. You look at the number of not even losing record. He never had a losing record. How many? How many seasons did he have less than double digit wins? I think it was one. That's insane, Charlie. What? That's insane. Playoffs. So they they actually did the stats. It's, playoff, it's crazy. Of postseason it's crazy. victories and like it was. He was like twenty three, and the next guy, which I think was like I forget who it was, was like eleven. Yeah, and, and even though you know it's a team sport, of course it is. But the quarterback plays such an outsized role in how those teams end up performing. And and once again, the thing is like the guy is just not gonna make mistakes. Yeah, he's just right? he's yeah. gonna and he's gonna more likely make you make a mistake. Yeah, and I think with guys like that too, the whole idea of the fire in the belly. Um, it does have to be something interior because he invested so much in the game, in the pregame stuff. Postgame, he was famous as a guy who would stay in the stadium and review yeah. all the plays. He'd have a call with his consult, like consultant guy after every game, even the ones that he won, to find out all the things he did wrong. Like the guy invested so much capital into this brain capital, spirit capital, that if that stuff starts to wane, and it's <clears throat> then it's just harder. And what was interesting, I think, is when you think about this past season and what has happened with. Um, Aaron Rodgers and how he's being viewed. I feel like those guys have always kind of been a little bit of attached to each other in terms of people like to make the argument that Aaron Rodgers is actually a better quarterback in terms of tools, et cetera. Uh, but, but I feel like that has like really you know, gone in completely different directions. Yeah, the gap is widened. It's significantly widened, especially with that playoff performance that Aaron Rodgers just had. So as much argument you make, like guy has great tools or whatever, maybe he's a natural athlete and great quarterback – but still, results are results, man. Mm. And playing big in those big moments, it's hard to put anyone above uh, Brady because he did it for so long yeah. and across multiple organizations. Like, if he had only stayed in 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 um with the Patriots, I think you could maybe put a little bit of an asterisk. But it's kind of hard to put through the. I mean, I don't know how you can. Yeah. All right. So before we change gears, uh, give me your uh, Super Bowl prediction. No. Oh, Rams for Rams sure. by yeah. a lot. Not by a lot, but I think I think the what has kept um, I think Joe Burrow. I love seeing the Bengals play. Mm-hmm. I think it's an awesome, yeah, super story. fun, super fun. I really wish, in some ways, I wish they were playing someone else because then, like, I've been cheering for them the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. I, I was really happy that they beat uh, Kansas City, and not because I dislike Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I don't. I really don't. But I just it's such a good story for that city. I think I remember telling you this, Charlie. I lived in Cincinnati for a little bit, like six months around there, right? And, Remember the like football wasn't even part of the conversation. Like, yeah, they were just cool terrible mm-hmm. for such a long time uh, since so, the mid eighties, really. Yeah. So it's so nice to see that. I think all the players, 
uh, Joe Burrow, the, the I forget even the name of the kicker. Like I love that oh, yeah. swagger attitude. I'm a little naive, but no, super but, naive. But, but you can't, super naive. But you can't like you can't dislike them. That's like, the boldness of youth, my friend. It is, and like that's why you kind of love it because you know what they keep on they yeah. keep on doing great things. They keep on overachieving. So I love everything they're doing. The the thing that I think at the end of the day is going to come down to is, um. I just think the defensive line of the Rams is just that Very much strong. better. And and even if we do a good job, which the Pointers did a good job on them for three quarters, it eventually gets to you. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, Donald is coming through, pulling three or four linemen on just him, and everyone else has a and then Gainer free, or the other guy, yeah, free free uh, shot, Von Miller, Von Miller. It's just yeah. When you're, I no, think when you're number two and tough. three guy are like the number when one Von guy, Miller and somebody your, else. <laughs> he's your scrub. He's your scrub. Like, ooh, yeah. you have you may have problems here. So I think that's going to end up being the difference of the game. Well, it won't surprise you that I'm going to go contrarian on you, and that's because every one of these games has been decided in overtime or by a field goal and kind of walk off style. And so I'm going with the Bengals in that same kind of dynamic field goal. Overtime win, last 10 seconds kind of thing. I'm going to stick with Cinderella because it's it's just tough to build that Cinderella momentum. And these guys have nothing to lose. They have nothing Literally to lose. I, nothing. I love it. Rams have everything to lose. They were expected to be there. They've got the roster. I, yeah, They've got the prestige. They're playing at home. Come on, dude. No, no, yeah they, yeah, they are. They are. Although you can make the argument that the Rams can play loose in every game because it's never been a home game for them. Every game that they play is a home game for the other team. Yeah. The 49 I was watching videos on on Instagram of when the Niners were scoring how loud the stadium was crazy like, it was crazy. crazy I mean it was a 49ers home game yeah so they're playing like with a chip on their shoulder that we need to like basically uh gain the city gain the trust of the city that we're good and we're... so I think they also have a pretty big chip on their shoulder I think it's going to uh, be which, which it's going to be 85-15 in the stadium though with the Bengals or even 90-10. I I don't see a ton of Bengals fans showing up at this one, do you? I don't know. I mean, I, you know. Who knows how you can get these tickets anymore, so I don't even know. So, I I I'm going to go with Rams by 10. The other the other reason I'm going to put a score to it. Rams the, by 10. Rams by 10. The other reason I'm going uh, Bengals is mathematical probability because Tampa Bay won for the first time ever a team has won in their home stadium, right? And this would be the second year in a row of that happening. And I just think the mathematical probability of that is very, oh, very like low. That. So I'm going, I like that. I'm betting the math, my friend, that All and right. Cinderella. So All we'll, right, so we'll find out. Two big, big stories this last week, right? Brady and one, the other one was Rogan. And so like, we're, we're going to dive right into Courage <laughs> or Cringe. If we, if we do 80-20 on Rogan versus the other two Courage and Crims, I'm fine with it. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. this one is a big, yeah, big there, topic. There's a lot. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's get started. So, Courage or Cringe, Joe Rogan apologizes. Spotify publishes content policy in response to Neil Young outcry. Mm. Right? So, it's a new Neil Young album, Outcry. Outcry. So, the Neil Young, Joe Rogan, Spotify controversy just took another turn uh, yesterday, I want to say, right? Yeah, it was. So, this began on the 24th of January when Neil Young wrote a letter to Spotify expressing his outrage and concern with the level of misinformation that he believes is being spread on the Joe Rogan podcast. That was, and I quote, potentially causing the death to those who believe this information being spread. Yeah. So as a result, he was basically threatening Spotify to either pull to pull to basically pull his music catalog unless they did something about it. And that was the initial letter because it was a letter that he wrote. He pu- published on his own website, and then at some point it got taken down. But then all of this started happening. Yeah, he wrote multiple letters. So that yeah. was the first one, right? Where where he was talking about this information, right? 
Um, and in there, he said, look, I want you to let Spotify know immediately today that all I want, that I want all my music off their platform. They can't have Rogan or Young, just not both, right? Mm. They can have Rogan or Young, just not both. Now, he went on to write a second letter, right, where he actually talked about that Spotify represented about 60% of his music globally. So it would be a big financial hit for him to do this. And while he supported free speech and did not favor censorship, he's like, look, just like any private company can choose who they want to profit from, he said he could also choose what platform his music would support. Sure. Right? So that's 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 pretty fair. And it's hitting right at the heart of this whole issue, which is is. where these platforms are private public kind of deals but yeah so okay. so spot two days later spotify came back like love you thank you good luck right don't so the, don't let the doorknob hit you on the, way out. The, ass on the way out so yeah they spotify quickly back rogan like they have now multiple times to their credit they've been pretty consistent with that right um and basically said goodbye to neil young uh well that movement started to get some traction pretty quickly over the weekend right yeah. And it started getting traction, I think, first in public support, right, by other celebrities, artists, including Joni Mitchell. There was other artists that came out pretty pretty strong with strong opinions of backing Neil Young. There was also public figures that came out, like the director of uh, – like the director general for World Health, Health Organization. Yeah. Uh, you the had – Prince Harry and – Prince Harry and um, – No longer Prince or whatever. And, uh, I forget her name. Meghan Markle. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, even Geraldo Rivera – Really came out, yeah, backing up Young, right? So I was, I was like, oh, that's actually kind that's of interesting. interesting. I didn't see his quote, but I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Geraldo's gotten a bit more libertarian as the years have gone on. He has, yeah, he's gotten soft in his old age. Uh, but so that was one, right? But there was also a pretty gr- large, growing social movement to cancel Spotify subscription. Yeah, MoveOn.org, a bunch of yeah, other stuff. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot of stuff out there. People were being pretty aggressive. I was, I started seeing that actually over the weekend. People that were posting themselves canceling their subscription, right? Which was kind of interesting. And, of course, there was even before all of this a group of 270 doctors that previously had written an open letter expressing their major concerns about Rogan and, and about COVID misinformation to Spotify, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, on that 270 doctors, I don't know if you caught this. This is a side story because there's been so much noise about this, and I'm convinced at this so, point yeah. either you're Rogan or you're talking about Rogan. But mm-hmm. in one of the many conversations talking about Rogan, somebody actually pulled the signatory list of that 270 doctors, and, like, there's 100 doctors, and the rest are, like— Medical assistants, professors, dentists, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Oh, so it's not it. just doctors, but anyway. Well, is, it, is it like, uh, you know, I always joke with Two and a Half Man, the guy always says he's a, he's a doctor. Uh, Alan is his name, right? The oh, character. Right? Yeah. He's like a chiropractor. And it was like, that's not really a doctor. <laughs> it was one, a, of the, one of those. <laughs> it was about, I'd say about 40% of the list was exactly that. It was yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. I sit next to a doctor at work. <laughs> I play a doctor on TV. That's pretty funny. Um, well, look, all the traction that seems to have actually forced both Spotify and Rogan to respond. Mm-hmm. So, so let's start with Spotify, right? So first of all, uh, the Spotify CEO, Daniel Ek, he admitted that they had not been transparent about their content policies. Because one of the things that they've, been gone for, they've gotten a lot of heat, both from the public and from their own employees, about what exactly are their content policies and what actually violates their content policies. Yeah. Because they keep on kind of coming back on the side of, of Rogan, for the most part, at least for the most, most controversial. Although they have taking some of the episodes off the podcast. I think when we talked about when they transferred over, I mean, some didn't even make it over, some of the Alex Jones one and others, right? Yeah, there was like 10 or something that didn't make it over. Yeah, so they basically decided to publish those content policies, mm-hmm. right? The second thing they did is they created a COVID-19, what they're calling hub for data-driven facts and up-to-date information that apparently will come from health and, sci- and scientific communities, right? right? So now you have this hub. Which is what happens on Facebook now. Anytime you yeah, mention yeah. COVID, and now even not just COVID, if you mention something, injection. It's super back, random, yeah. It's super random. And it'll I've come had, up and... I've had Instagram pictures that I posted. They get flagged because behind me on the picture is a sign. This isn't about like an interest for a restaurant or something. It says COVID. Really? Oh, and it flags and it puts a little COVID oh, thing. Wow. Nothing the, to do. The machine learning. Machine, machine learning. learning. For sure. It reads yeah. it. Yeah. 
Um, do you ever click on the COVID uh, thing? Have you ever done that? Have you ever like clicked on the COVID announcement or whatever? A disclaimer? I, I don't know if I have. Maybe I have, but like way, way early on. I, yeah. I don't think I've because it, it, that's part of, part of the problem with a lot of these things is that while even if they have good intent, they usually become part of the background noise, of course, like, really quickly, yeah. right? So yeah. how effective they actually are, I don't know. So it's but, like the little button that says add pol- uh, add preferences on the right. corner of banners. Nobody clicks so, on that. So and then the third thing is that they're not going to have content that's related to COVID nineteen be tagged, kind of what we're just saying right now, with that information, uh, which will also include episodes of the Rogan podcast, right? Sure. Now, to all of this, uh, Daniel Lech, the CEO, said, we haven't been transparent around the policies that guide our content more broadly. It's become clear to me that, that we have an obligation to do more to provide balance and access to widely accepted information from the medical and scientific communities, guiding us through this unprecedented time, mm. right? Mm. So that was Spotify. Yeah. Then there was Rogan, right? So Rogan goes out and on actually Sunday night, I think, or Sunday afternoon, he puts out like a 10-minute video on Instagram, kind of his response to the controversy. And he talks about a number of things, right? One is he kind of reiterates, reiterates his position about what the podcast is about, which is really about having these conversations with people that have varying sort of uh, points of view, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he also recognizes in, in that conversation, recognizes that he believes that he needs to do more to have a more ba- balanced approach for basically who he has on. And in what order? Uh, and in one order, right, to the point that if I'm going to have someone – I mean, I'm, now I'm interpreting what he's saying. Well, like, if I'm going to have someone that has a really strong position that says X, then I probably need to think about having someone that comes on that has a position of Y. Right afterwards. Right after, Or more closely. Or more closely, right. Yeah. Now, he did say, you know, I did have Dr. Sanjay Gupta on here. And, and yeah, and he has, right? I think the thing that he's getting a lot of heat about is that you may have had some people once in a while, but your drum now seems to be very much a certain type of narrative and, and specifically expressed by some of these folks, right? Um. Now, he also is thanking, thanks, of course, Spotify for, A, having the support, and says that he actually does agree of having these kind of – He tags. does. I mean, it's like – So I thought it was kind of interesting, right? Um, now, he, he also apologized to Spotify for any flack that it's created yeah, for them. Yeah, he was – I mean, look, because we can start re- reacting to all of it, so, so I'll get into it. But, but um, you know, so he did talk about that and kind of the, the responsibility he has with this thing that even if for him is hard to keep control of, right? Now – that's something that was misquoted. I saw some of the articles where people said like, oh, that Joe Rogan says that his podcast is out of control. He didn't really say that. He says this thing is kind of growing out of control that I barely have control of. Yeah, he, he can't Those are two his, very he, different things, right? He, he can't get his arms around how big it's become. You know right, I mean? which, is, which is different than saying this thing is out of control, right? Um, Who said that it was out of – like somebody's actually – The Wall Street Journal article oh, that it, I read it, yeah, literally said that. And then, until I looked at the video, I'm like, no, nah, he actually doesn't say that. Right. But was it saying it critically? Like it was saying he's lost control of this? No. He's saying that – the article piece from Wall Street Journal was saying that Joe Rogan has saying that his yeah, podcast was out it. of control. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. But, that, but by the, saying it that way is really misquoting what he's actually saying. Yep. This is growing out of control that I barely have control over. Right, thing, right. 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 It's become um, a phenomenon basically. Yeah. 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 So, look, we, we could get into it, right? So, Courage or Cringe, Spotify backing creators and free speech, or it's always about the money, music platform protecting their biggest investment. There's so much here, so I definitely want to, you know, go back and forth a number of times. I think that this thing, um, first of all, like as a starting point, and it's not the starting point, but just a starting point, I think almost one of the biggest losers in all of this to me in terms of lost opportunity is somebody like Neil Young. I forget who it was that I was listening to made the point of, wouldn't it be much better, given the fact that the show is supposed to be about these controversial perspectives and points of view, to go on, to go on, to go on and go, and you know, and even then you could even say to yourself, well, yeah, I'm going to go on like uh, Gupta did, 
I'm going to go on. If I don't feel I get anywhere, then maybe I'll take this other action, right? But what a great way to bring, to use that same platform to do good if that's what you believe that you were doing. And then at the same time, I mean, just at a selfish marketing level, bring a lot of new visibility to you because the reality of it is, is Neil Young hasn't really been famous for about 30. I mean, not really that famous for a long time, right? Yeah. And kind of bring him back into view. Now, he's come back into view anyway. And uh, I'm sure his albums are this selling on other platforms. Major view. Matt, I mean, I would argue that going on the Joe Rogan podcast would have had a blimp of the effect that it's having with him pulling his music catalog from the, from the platform. I think it depends think about on the, what the conversation would, would have been. Just think, I, about, think about it from this perspective. Spotify is having to respond to it directly. Spotify, like, oh yeah, maybe we even admitted we haven't actually been as clear with our policy. We now have to put together this content hub that does more to give you a balance act. This, we don't even talk about this. There's even other other podcasts, one called Science Versus. I think it's, it's actually a Gimlet property hmm. that is now rebranding that that show to really be be really about fighting misinformation and in essence a little bit of a response to a lot of information that comes out in 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 at least by some of the guests that joe rogan has had like it's a movement that now new young new young has sparked that i don't believe that if he goes on just like when sanjay gupta went on it didn't it made zero difference in terms of changing any of the perspective if you believe that and we should talk about what like because part of the question here is like free speech versus yeah what of course there's, there's, a, there's a ton here to unpack. but you there's know what i'm saying like, like i I, yeah. I don't know man i think new young in a really interesting way, has now like created a whole bunch of attention, even to himself. And you can say, selfishly speaking, sure. like, he'll benefit him a lot. Sure, sure, but definitely to the platform, which introduces yet another potential, even darker, deeper conspiratorial thought, which is, is, is something like this: Could anybody set this up to set this up? Meaning, you know, sure. we're going to create this yeah, because could, of that fact, right? Now, I don't think that's the case, but nevertheless, the outcome would have been interesting. The other thing is that adding to a lot of this amplification is also the other music platforms, right? Which instantly, when this happened, For three sure. days later, Apple. Come over here. Sort of Amazon goes, Music. Like, yeah, like, yeah, we got we, you. We, we got lo- you. We love Neil Young. It's we like we love have Neil all Young. of Neil Young stuff, right? So, but that's it, super smart. Like, why wouldn't you do that? If you're, if you're Amazon Music, if you're Apple, like, you will be all over that. Well, put it, th- put it to you this way. I think that that would have been more in keeping with the principles that Neil Young purports to have. If he is a supporter of free speech and doesn't want censorship. If that's true, then I would have thought with a guest who makes it a point to want to talk to people that he doesn't agree with, to want to discuss things that are controversial. I think it would have been cool for him to go on, try to refute his stuff, you know, I got a bone to pick with you. And then if it was a, a losing thing, then go on and say, okay, I've done this, I've sure. tried it. I don't know. Like to me, that, that yeah, was, yeah. That was a, that's a step that could have Let me tell you what my, uh-huh. what, my, what my main thought on this is. And I've been on this tip for a little while, but I think that this has kind of pushed me over the edge a little bit, is that I said that I think that Rogan's voice um, is important and has been important. Mm-hmm. I think now it's damn near essential. I honestly think for me, this is like taken his the importance of having somebody like him into a different into a different realm, right? Having somebody who has a voice like his, especially after watching that that apology or that video that he did. Honestly, my stock for him went up. And I told you, I haven't been I haven't listened to him since January. Like since he or whenever it was that they moved when was it January, right? That he moved over? It was January, yeah. Wait, just this no last no, year. No, no, no. It's last year. over a year now. I haven't <clears> listened <throat> to him in over a year. Okay. Yep. In terms of, I, I listened to the Peterson interview because I thought we might be talking about that too. Oh, we should so talk I, about that. I, we, and, we, and we can. So listen to that one. But besides that, I have not listened to Rogan regularly since mm-hmm. he went on Spotify. Having said that, my stock for him went dramatically up after watching that video because I saw somebody who was honestly, and, and it is who he is, right? Open, honest about what he's trying to do. Apologized to Spotify, which I thought was okay. Apologized to anybody he had offended, and then said that I don't even mind the haters because they actually keep my game kind of sharp. 
So right. for me, and he even said that he, and he still loves Neil Young. Like it's still, and he said it, that he still it, loves Neil Young. Love to Neil Young. And he told some thought, story about when he was I, young and he went like to a Neil, Neil Young concert. He was right. working security and they were doing bonfires. And right, right, right. it was like, it was a perfect was nine really minute. Well it was. It, it was, was a really perfect well nine yeah. minute microcosm of exactly why people listen to him. And that, Jesus, is the question that I think people need to ask themselves more is why are so many people listening to this guy right now? Why is it that he's so, like, when you compare him to other sources of information, that he's head and shoulders in terms of reach? Right. Is it simply because you have this wayward youth that's a bunch? bunch of morons that are all just like clueless knuckle draggers. I honestly don't believe that's what it is. I think that there that he has hit on something that we've talked about many times, which is this kind of open-ended discussion about difficult issues. And from a standpoint of openness, I'm not even suggesting he doesn't have his perspectives. And I'm not I'm further not suggesting that his perspectives haven't evolved even, you know, more to the right. We've talked about that too. Right. But my point is he's still having these kind of conversations. And I think that, you know, media, especially the more kind of corporate media, needs to continue to ask themselves that question about why is this so attractive to people? I think that's one of the right questions to ask. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you in the sense that that video, he, I think it was done extremely well. It was very honest from the heart. And that, I think that's part of the go back to why does he resonate? I think it's that, right? His opinions uh, tend to come from a place like that is what he's believing. When he's saying that I'm sitting here having a conversation you know, talking shit. He is doing that. And I and I, I don't question that. I think still to me, the bigger question here comes like, yes, agree, good, that's awesome. But even with good intent, bad outcomes happen all the time. Mm. Like, where is that? Like, do is, is there ever a need to have a balancing act to say, but there's still even with good intent, even about having a conversation yeah. of, should there be a little bit of a higher threshold of saying, if someone is just is spewing just complete nonsense, should th- that person be given a platform to spew that nonsense without any kind of checks and levers or not? Yeah, and right? it depends and, on and, the and context what do you do? And, 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 the, and, the, and the thing is, like, look, part of what makes Joe Rogan good and what makes everyone with controversial points of view comfortable going with him is that while he pushes some people back, he doesn't push that hard. His orientation is, I'm gonna, I want to hear what you have to say. And I'm going to ask you questions about it. And especially if you talk about something that I'm not that comfortable with, I may push in a little bit, but I'm also not going to let you go a little bit. I'm going to let you go more than a little bit many times. Right? Well, it's you're, a three-hour show. You're going to just talk. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. And he's kind of hearing this thing, letting it unpack. And he's really good about that, right? That makes people feel really comfortable. The problem is when the person on the other side is just, is just spewing pure nonsense. I there can, is I can no, answer your question. There is no guardrail to any of that. And he is not really, he doesn't feel like it's kind of his job. He's like, I'm just having a conversation. Yeah. And I agree <clears> to <throat> have a conversation. The problem is that the amount of people that are in this conversation and that now see as, you know, when people talk about Dr. Joe Rogan, because they are seen as a source of truth, not just a source of good conversation or it, different points of view. Yeah. So here, here's my answer to that question. And my answer to that question is, it depends dramatically on the context of what the show is about. Let me give you an example. Some, I think it was Glenn Greenwald over the course of the last couple of days mm-hmm. who said that the greatest or the most dangerous kind of misinformation is official misinformation. In that statement is the kind of insight that I'm trying to hit on, which is I think a show like Rogan's 
comes automatically at the sort of DNA level with a grain of salt disclaimer like nobody's business. I think people who tune in have an expectation that they're going to hear things that are a little bit out there. They're going to hear conversations that they wouldn't otherwise hear in maybe more traditional uh, places. And as a result of that, they come into that experience with that sense about it. I do think that if, if you're listening to whatever it is, the director of the CDC, and she's talking to people who are like, <clears throat> represent 4% of the medical community in the same way that she's talking to people who represent 98% of the medical community, I think that has a great risk so of I, leading people astray, more I, so than him. I, I think that is wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that has changed significantly over the last 10 years. I would agree with that sentiment 10 years ago. Right now, there is more distrust in, we talked about it all the time, you know, in, um, you know, um, I'll say primary media. What do we call it? Like mainstream. Mainstream media. Thank yeah. you. There's more distrust of mainstream media than a guy sitting in his basement with a YouTube video talking about something. There, or there's th- equal credibility, maybe. Or with, equal. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. say if it's equal, terrible. But let's say, let's. Yeah. But I actually think it's the opposite. I actually think there's more distrust to Fauci speaking, to CNN talking, to anything that's considered mainstream than anyone that is coming in and spewing or talking about something that is that is not. Yeah. As long as it's not is counter mainstream. And I think that's part of the problem. So I think Greenwald's actually wrong in that. Mm. Uh, and because he still represents, he's he's mainstream, but not. He's always had that kind of contrarian, kind of a, a little bit on, on the on the edges, right? He's the one that broke the story with, uh, what's the name, guys in Russia now? Uh, who, oh, Snowden. Snowden, thank you. Yeah. Right? So he's been kind of mainstream at the same time, a little bit on the edges, right? Well, but he's th- for sure on the edges. There's no question and, about and that's, it. But I think that's, that's a big part of the, of the change that we have right now is that people do trust Joe Rogan way more. And I don't think people look at it with an asterisk mm. when he's talking or someone that is on the show talking than whether it's someone on CNN. Now, let's say CNN is, is right 100% of the time. I, I don't think so. And there's plenty of stuff that, that they do wrong. But I think we've literally have flipped the, the, the equation. And the challenge is you do have one. For as much as CNN can be wrong, there is at least some level of process what they're trying to. Maybe fail most of the time, or however you want to say it. But there is some mechanism to try to like at least make sure that we try to get data right, et cetera, information but, right. But, but isn't it worth and, saying and it, though it that it's not there in this in this environment? And the question is like, okay, okay. So let me ask that, you a question. Is that good? Is that bad? Sure. Like, do we sure, want sure, that? Sure. See what I'm saying? But let me ask you a question. What do you make of this? I read this in one of the other pieces. I forget huh? which one it was. That the people who listen to the Rogan podcast, their podcast diet includes a variety of other things. I think if you look at your own podcast diet, if you do listen to him or have listened to him in the past, I'm talking about you personally, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's things like The Daily and The New York Times uh-huh. podcast and probably a, a, an assortment of other things. And that's the case with uh, Rogan, where, there, where it's not just people listen. In other words, my point is, what about the, the, the point that this doesn't occur in a vacuum? Yeah, it's not like you got I, I just an army of people uh, who won't listen to one thing. Remember how we, when we did the, I forgot the name of the platform now, that maps Raphonic. out the, the, the nodes, right? Raphonic. I, you're 100% right. There is a node that I would say I belong to where... I, and I, I definitely don't listen to that nearly as much as I have in Joe Rogan because I do feel like he's gone so far now. It's like the same. It's like it just got old. Like the same storylines over hated the LA and over too. and over. Yeah, even that, right? It, but it was like the same things over and over and over again, right? He got like three themes that, he, that he's constantly on, right? The anti-LA, anti-vaccine, and there is like a third one. I forget what the third one is. Mm. But like, it's like the same themes and it feels like every single episode, right? There's people that are, that are in that mix and also listen to a lot of other, you know, that we consider more trusted sources. But I bet there's also a note that is not that at all. Yeah. That is the people that are all the counter mainstream media. 
and that's the I think that's part of the challenge. That's what makes this one to me so interesting and complicated it because is. I'm not in, in the in the position saying he shouldn't have on there. But I don't I don't know what or how you solve for that. Is there a solve to be had? Maybe maybe there isn't. Maybe the the best thing could happen is let people speak freely. Look, and we were talking about the Jordan Peterson Peterson um, interview interview where which is he's a, a Canadian uh, researcher, uh, psychi- psychiatrist, I think, sociologist, sociologist, yeah. uh, professor, clinical psychologist, I think, actually, yeah. And like I listened to the first hour and a half, and the amount of in my humble opinion of horse shit that came out of that guy's mouth that he was really? in that in and joe rogan he was kind of pushing him a little bit but it, but it's pushing and i know if at least from listening to what it sounds like joe rogan is not as comfortable with some of these things so therefore he will only push him so much particularly in the religious stuff because i mean he brought up a lot of he that brought stuff. Up, like so much when yeah. we talk about climate change i had a like, completely different his experience argument with about climate change like what the hell are you talking about he, he made two arguments about why climate change not that it doesn't exist, but he questioned any He questioned model. the models about it, yeah. He questioned the model. One, because climate is everything, is his, is his point, right? Okay, climate has too many variables, so therefore you can't model it. And number two, it's really hard to calculate the present value of something. Mm-hmm. So when I hear that, I'm like, you're obviously not an economist, or you believe the entire practice of, of, of economics doesn't exist or shouldn't exist. Mm. Because it's literally the science of that, of modeling things that have a lot of difficult variables. Or physics, or pretty much any of the kind of math sciences. But he does understand that stuff. I mean, in fact, but, but, he, he, but the he, point that you will make that as yeah. your argument, Charlie. Yeah, but he, to me, is such a ridiculous. Stance. But see, that's weird because I'm telling you, I didn't hear that argument done the same way. What I heard him saying is that it was a question about defining terms, and that in certain ones of these models, what is trying to be measured, or when you talk about climate, you're talking about so many different things that when you achieve an outcome with that particular point of view, and then you compare it to something else, if you don't have the Cor- same correct. denominator. You get ver- wildly varying results. That, that's right, Charlie. But but it's in the argument of whether or not climate change is something that that, need, that is a concern that we looked at. Sure. And he's dismissing the entire thing because it has too many variables. Mm. It literally is that right. Like how do you even know what to pick? And is everything like, dude? What are you talking about? Like if you were talking to an economist sitting next to you, you look at me like, I'm sorry. Like right. w- what what do you mean? Let's if you want to argue with me about what are some of those variables, which okay. is what, which is what I heard. Let, let's but, let's yeah. argue about what some of the variables. But to tell me that the whole thing needs to throw out the window because it's hard to put a present value something in the future. Yeah, and there's too many variables. Like what? I had a, I had it's such, such a, compl- a ridiculous argument. The part that, that I thought was really sad about that interview is that there was so much made about the climate thing, which was actually a very short, a very brief part of the and only the initial part of the episode. That's what I'm responding to. Ma- like I yeah. had to like step away and like take a deep breath and I'm like I want to listen to the rest of this crap. Yeah. Like it's so bad and it's like and I could tell that in this case, if Joe Rogan is getting blamed for like for for being against climate change, he actually was trying to like push him on on things. But he's just not as either comfortable or well versed, or whatever might be the case. Yeah, it may be a combination. Well, he'll let of someone just talk, yeah, right? Of course. So the idea, like you're letting someone just talk, they're just talking out of their ass. But the the question becomes, like, there's people that are listening to that and then take it as gospel. Mm. Now, maybe we don't care that someone takes it as gospel. Maybe it doesn't really matter that people take it as as gospel, as long as they have other people who are saying things and there's that be, are counter to that, sure. right? But like that to me is a there's perfect example. There's gonna be an outlier. Of, uh, uh, yeah, I know I get it. And there's going to be a percentage of people that are in that category that take whatever happens with a guest as gospel. But I would pro- I would propose that those are the same people that would take it as gospel, irrespective of the, of the source, and that they're going to be we're going to represent a minority of the audience. Yeah, maybe. What I thought about that interview, I, I honestly thought that it was one of the most interesting conversations I've really heard in a very long time. I think Jordan Peters, especially when he started talking about uh, biblical history. 
um, you know, talking about, you know, the, he, he talked about taking a tour of, uh, the museum of, of Bible yeah, yeah, history yeah. or whatever, about an hour in. I mean, I, I was riveted I, by I his- I kind of like ended up kind of falling off around that point. When he was talking about that creative people have, uh, what, what do you call it? Unstable identities. And that that's why they're in that because people that are creative are the ones that tend to be trans. Like, dude, what are you talking about? But, like, but, but see, that this is, is such ridiculous arguments. Yeah. Like, I have a really hard time. Like, it's like one dumb thought after another. Yeah. That is like, I really have to like pause, walk away. Yeah. And be like, do I want to listen to more of this? See, it's interesting because, I mean, in that area, this guy is a notable authority. I mean, he spent decades studying the data on those kind of commonalities. And I, what I heard him saying is that people who are creative by their nature are in this world of kind of fluidity. And so th- there's a lot of correlation between creative types and people who might fall into this category. Look, either neither one of us is experts in that area, but I'm saying if you're going to criticize him for climate stuff, he has not a lot of experience there, although he did, you know, he was part of some committee for the Canadian government to study climate. Mm-hmm. He's, he talked about reading a couple of hundred books on the issue, et cetera, et cetera, but it hasn't been his primary field of study. Psychology, sociology, and clinical, and he's had a clinical practice, has been. So I yeah. have to give a lot more weight to that kind of, of, of data without, in the absence of me studying it, is what I'm saying. When I hear him talk I, about I climate, really I can discount time. it with that comment that creative people have unstable identities. Creativity is part of an identity, mm-hmm. right? And when you see people that are creative, and this whole thing is like, oh, he when he was trying to factor who's creative or not, his question was, did you write a song? Did you paint a painting? Really? Is that really the only way people are creative? Like, unless you are a practicing artist, which is, that's a, creativity and artistry are not the same thing. And he was making this direct line correlation that unless you're someone that expressed a form of art, then you're not really creative. So those that did express a form of art, then they were in this creative bucket. Like there's so many flaws to that argument. I don't need to study psychology to understand that you're the way that you're doing the very shorthand version of this seems like you're leaving a lot on the table of even and like really explaining people what you mean by creativity yeah. and how those two could be directly correlated. Like See what I'm saying? Like, this could be creativity I, I, and, and I, technology and I, entrepreneurship. For and, sure. But I and think, a bunch of different but the, but the things basic, without being an artist. Let me give you a basic principle, though, behind that statement that might help you understand it. In any creative endeavor, generally speaking, and I'll use music as an example, you have composers and you have interpreters. Mm-hmm. People who actually can sit down and create the raw work from the very beginning and those who then take some kind of raw work and mold it, shape it, sure. etc. So in that context, the, the percentage of people who are composers is vanishingly small compared to the percentage of people that are interpreters of something. Mm-hmm. It just happens, it, whether especially in the area of music. You have a lot of musicians, a lot of people who can even read sheet music, but not a lot of people who can sit down and compose a melody. That's, that's, but that's my point, Charlie. If you then turn around and tell me that the way that you look at creativity is only if you compose, that leaves everyone else that is adapting, that is performing yeah. out of that equation, and that makes zero sense to me in any kind of, like, general understanding of what creativity actually means. And that was his argument. And maybe the, and that's why I, yeah. I'm like, what? Maybe like, the thing what are you talking yeah, about? Maybe the thing that you're objecting is he didn't properly, to your hearing, disclaim when he was talking about limited universes. Because I definitely heard it as that. I'm not hearing him saying, all people who have a creative thought are have even, to be this. Even on that... Also, I think Rogan was kind of put like, wait, what? Like, Yeah, there was a lot say- of those moments. He was having interview. a lot of those, wait, like, yeah. what are you saying? Yeah. Like, you really mean that? But, like, but, how does that account for- Like, yeah. there was a lot of those kind of comments. To his credit, and those are probably the things that Joe Rogan does not get enough credit for. Yeah. But the question that I have was like, yeah, but you just had a guy that literally for, at least for the part that I was listening to, 
Um, and I would say the religious part of the conversation was the, probably the most interesting. We're like, huh, that's actually an interesting point of how you're saying that the, you know, the Bible is a foundation for how literature or books are being like, you know, like to have an outsized impact on literature in this world. That's not an, that's not an un, un, uh, reasonable. unreasonable assumption. Yeah. Like, I think there is, I'm not saying everything the guy says is terrible. I'm simply saying like, that took an hour and a half before you guys even got to the point, right? Yeah. And, and and the question still becomes: There's so I thought much that stuff part of that the is conversation coming was out. Fascinating. It is super interesting. Let me, let, let me just let me switch gears a tiny, tiny bit because okay. you asked a big, big, big question earlier about what what can be done around some of this stuff. I think the other thing that's part of this somewhere, the kind of ugly hydra that's hiding behind a lot of this Rogan stuff, is just straight up, uh, maybe not jealousy is not the right way to say it, but there's a perceived threat. From a dollars and cents standpoint to the fact of the audience that this guy has amassed, the influence that he has, and that that influence and that amassed audience is not at other places. Because the the amount – like so my point in saying this is Mm -hmm. even though he – you saw the video – said, okay, I'm sorry about this. Sorry to Spotify. I'm perfectly cool with them putting the disclaimer on. I'll do a better job of scheduling. None of that stuff's going to matter. None of that stuff's going to matter, and there's still going to be a very vocal – amount of people who are against him precisely because they see him as a threat monetarily, economically, whatever, to their own businesses. I think there's some part of this where people are just like, I don't want the fact that he's got more audience than me to to continue. There's like there's there's some of this because yeah. he's so ahead I think, of the I think of that's, these folks. That's and, fair. And that, You're gonna have some folks that think that. But there's also the reality that when you have that level of audience and you're saying the, the the type of information that's coming out and sometimes coming out so unfiltered, it just has a much bigger impact. Mm-hmm. Put away the money and sense in terms of people's views, in terms of what they do, how they act. It has an outsized impact. And and once again, the question for me, like, and I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. Is the answer then you rein that in? Is the answer is say, hey, Joe, when you're going to have a, a Jordan Peterson, you got to have someone else that actually knows something about some of these subjects to actually be able to help you counter this conversation because you obviously don't know enough to even call this guy out when there's like crap is coming out, mm. right? Because you want to give a, a, a certain perspective or to what he's saying, like maybe what I'll do is the next time I have Jordan Peterson, the very next guest that I'm going to have is someone that actually understands climate change. Mm-hmm. Someone that has a different perspective in, in psychology that can but speak he's, to... But he's agreed to that. And what yeah, I'm yeah, saying I'm is saying, if that saying, happens, maybe, it's maybe, not going to make a difference. That is, maybe that is part of the answer. Yeah. I don't know. I do think though, it's gone significantly worse and how one tune he's become in, in the content that, that comes out in that podcast, which has made it, frankly, the, right now, mostly when I, when I listen to it, is I look for the ones that are about fights, for mm-hmm. the most part. And even yeah, those are, uh, you know, kind of end up in that sort of sphere pretty quickly because it just becomes like, there's only so much of that you can hear after a while. Yeah. Right? I, mean, I, I, I think I don't have enough experience listening to all of his episodes to say which way the pendulum is swung, but I can tell you just by looking at a list objectively of the guests that he has that I, I don't have that same concern. Now, that may be because or, – or that may not – uh, alter your point, which is he still may believe something about it, no matter who his guest is. Yeah. And the conversation and the thematics may go in that direction anyway. But I, I don't have the same level of concern that you do. Now, I, I think yeah. he understands that he's done that because he, he literally brings it up. Like he needs to have, maybe he needs to be, make it a little bit more balanced. I think he, he's starting to, rec- I think this 
in whatever way has raised a flag that maybe he's gone a little bit off balance in terms of some of those views that he that yeah based, maybe right? because maybe. he literally is talking about that in his comments. But I can't imagine somebody getting called out the way that he has and respo- and responding with such magnanimity, frankly, like saying like, "Look, I get things wrong." And his response is great. I'll try to do better. Yeah, I agree like with I try you. to imagine like Rachel Maddow or somebody doing that. I mean, you know, I li- I watched a clip on Rachel Maddow earlier in the pandemic, right when the uh, vaccine started getting implemented. And the stuff that she was saying, straight up, just completely wrong. Like, you know, talking about once you get vaccinated, you can't spread this. It's a dead end. Like, it ends with you and all this other stuff. Completely wrong. Completely yeah, but, unscientific, right? Yeah, but on that one, no, no, so let's take a step back. On that, remember, some of the position from the scientific community has evolved over time. So and that's it really matters that when that, yeah, but yeah. it really matters when you say that. It's not that it's completely wrong. It was right for the time until new information came out that says, hey, well, we thought it was the case. Maybe it's not exactly but the But isn't case. that precisely what the point that he's making, though? So he makes three points in the video. He says, I, you know, if you talked about eight months ago that cloth masks didn't work, or that you could still spread and get COVID even though you were vaccinated, um, or that um, COVID-19 was done in a lab. He makes those three points. Mm-hmm. All of those points, which were official points, right, mm-hmm. official, would have gotten you deplatformed, right? Mm-hmm. The people who I've had on the show held some of those views, right? And yet now they're common knowledge and accepted. What do you make of, of that? In I, other words, that those I, were I, official I, sources of yeah, information. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, well, part of the question becomes, okay, so fair, so what happens if you make a statement or a comment that is completely wrong right now and that never becomes true? Then what? You can make the same argument. Hey, I don't know. This may become right at some point. We don't. The, the question is not whether it's right at a later time when there's better information. The question is what do you do now? Right. Right. If I come out and say COVID was actually created by Russia. Mm-hmm. It wasn't China. It was actually Russia who did it. It wasn't Russia. And, and, and then it turns out later that it actually was Russia. See, you see, I was right. Right. But, here, but and, the, and, the, the point, the point, or, that, the see, point that I'm happens, making, the point that I'm like, making is Neil Young is saying that this misinformation is killing a bunch of people. Yes. Couldn't you go back and say when Rachel Maddow, even though she thought it was right, was telling people that if you get vaccinated, you're good, and people went out and then spread it and killed a bunch of people? Isn't some of this like you see well, what I'm the, saying? Right. But the, but the degrees and difference in that statement is that it was wrong. It was partially wrong, not entirely wrong. Though, if you get vaccinated, instead of being you're not going to catch it, you're less likely to catch it, and you're a lot less likely to die from it. And there is a difference, right, to say between that and being that you're 100% good. Right. You're pretty good, maybe not 100% good. Yeah. Which is different than, than something that is entirely wrong from right. when it was. I mean, you still Or got, even natural immunity being being as good as vaccination, right? right? That was also a deplatform kind of idea. So I think part of the question becomes that maybe we shouldn't be deplatforming people for when information that is still in flux or is still mm-hmm. evolving. I agree mm-hmm. with that. But but I have a hard time with now revisionists in terms of, of something that is where information has actually changed and saying, see, that's why we should be able to say whatever we want to say at any time. Yeah. Because you can make that argument about anything, and maybe ninety percent of that never, never is is always wrong and never changes. Yeah. But on that logic, then anyone could be said anything. Nothing is misinformation anymore. My biggest beef with Rogan, and this is something you've touched on in the past, but um, is the disclaimer that he is not a person to be listened to, or the disclaimer that he's not smart. Right. I think that that's just bullshit. I think that he is very smart, and if he wasn't. Since 2009, and he started talking to all these people, he's a hell of a lot smarter. In the Peterson interview at the very beginning, I don't know if you remember this, Peterson actually asks him a question. He's like, how do you even prepare for this stuff? And he goes, I read the books of the guests that are on. Mm-hmm. And reading is like one of the fastest way to, to, ways to gain intellect. And he's read a lot of, a lot of these different books. So mm-hmm. I don't believe for a second that he's dumb. 
right. all. And I think that the other thing that is my beef with him is his constant appeals to authority as to why he shouldn't be listened to, namely that he's not a scientist and not a doctor. And yet at the same time, right, he says, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a, not a doctor. I don't have those credentials. At the same time, he brings people on who are controversial, cites all of their credentials as the reason why you know, they're, they're, they should be listened to, even though other people with the same credentials or more completely disagree with them. So it's like this argument that makes absolutely no yeah. sense. And, and it's, it's a logical inconsistency that I'm surprised he doesn't see on his own. And mm-hmm. I just don't believe any of it. I, I agree with you. I, I can't even... Yes. I think, <laughs> I, I think I've made a different version of that, of that point before. But we didn't say, so Courage or Cringe with Spotify. Okay, well, and I, I, I'm to say the Spotify moves and the... Let's, let's, let's put the Spotify moves and the Joe Rogan moves Yeah, together. so look, I'm, I, I, because we're really saying uh, the Rogan apology mm-hmm. is part of it. And that would be two apologies, one to Spotify and one to anybody that he offended. Huh? Um, I, I would give that courage because of the way that it was done yep, and the too. spirit in which it was done. And I think that the Spotify things... It's a really weak courage because I think I would have done the same exact thing as like implement some of these kind of simple guidelines and try to work on the packaging as opposed to the content and try to stave off that conversation as long as I possibly could. It's not truly courageous, but I would also probably put it in that camp. I think the entire thing now, the the, the assault that this guy is under, the the there's another thing, uh, your, your boy, uh, what's his name, Sagar from uh, uh, Breaking Points. That guy was talking about like, hey, do you know who owns all these music catalogs? It's not the artists anymore. It's all these hedge funds that basically go and buy these libraries. And these guys all have people on the Pfizer board and all this other stuff. It's like, don't think that those guys don't have an interest in making this guy go down. Yeah. Now, so so I think the whole thing is kind of cringy. But at, at, a, at a baseline, the apology and the steps that Spotify has taken, I guess I'm courage. I will put a lot more courage to Joe Rogan and his response. I put limited, limited courage. <laughs> Whatever the smallest percentage of I could put on Spotify, uh, but Which, I do think it's a move in the right direction. Okay, it's, it is an admission of guilt in terms of your consistency of even being public about your content policy, which I think is an important one for both users and for their own employees. Yeah, and number two is having someone say you do have some responsibility, right? When you when you're hosting the biggest platform exclusively on your platform, that's the big question here. Then you have some responsibility of what comes out of it that. You're not just sort of you're not just one of many places where this content is made available. Yeah, you've signed an exclusive deal, so therefore you should have some responsibility of what comes out. Of course, to at least prompt up other versions of, of of content, other other narratives that can help balance this out. If if things come out that are that are really you know plainly wrong. If Rogan is done with growth, like if he objectively looks at it and goes, you know what, I got more people than I need, and I'm good for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. I would recommend that he move off of the platform and off of off of these platforms entirely and just create his own ecosystem and be done with it. But all of this just drives more attention to him and to all the other people. And yeah. so maybe he's still focused on on growing. But yeah. I think we're going to be talking more about this. In fact, this whole show may be a two-parter because um, yeah, we're, we're going we're going long. We we'll go, go we we'll go we we'll go short at the we, end of these. Well, I don't know. I don't think I can. We'll see. But uh, but there's a lot to talk about these other two subjects. But I really think it's an important conversation. And my initial point is just that it's gotten more important, not less important. This whole the, the whole thing with uh, with Rogan because I think he's emblematic of something bigger. And that is that the reason that his show is important and engaging is because I think at the essence, he has conversation and he has conversation with a variety of perspectives. And I think at the baseline, that is a good thing that we need more of. That's my thought. So there you go.
Okay, we move on to our next topic, Courage or Cringe. Michigan cites SCOTUS ruling for allowing some adoption agencies to deny same-sex couples. Mm. So Catholic adoption agencies in Michigan can continue to deny same-sex couples the chance at adopting or fostering a child. Mm. Now, this was after the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services settled the lawsuit with St. Vincent Catholic Charities. This was the agency that sued the state in 2019 after it refused to contract with adoption and foster care agencies that will place that wouldn't place children with same sex and unmarried couples. So, so just to be clear here, what mm-hmm. we're talking about is the government, the government agencies, child protective services, the right. foster care system. They bid for the out state in, of Michigan for yeah. the state of Michigan, but but in other states, they work with a variety of different agencies That's and right. services. And Michigan had stated or whatever that in order to be one of those services or agencies, you had to be able to place. Um, uh, children in same-sex households, right? The the Catholic organization sued, and this is very similar to what happened on the East Coast, right? Which is what yeah, the, I, I will I will position a little different in the sense ahead, that what? it's not that you have to place it in the in same-sex household; is that you couldn't restrict where to place it based on someone's uh, sexuality, you know, gender, okay. etc. Right? Okay. Which is which is actually is different because I'm not saying you have to. You simply say you can, like. Like not like allow these these couples to be able to uh, to to adopt. In practice, I think that's a distinction without a difference. But it's a different it's a different it's a very different thing in my mind. But in practice, how different is it? It's different because one is you are forcing someone to do something to to place them in, into into a specific type of, of of family. The second is that you just can't discriminate about any other families that want I, to adopt. I get that, but the moment that a same sex couple is attempting to, to yeah, adopt, for the same sex couple, it's the, the same thing, right? But, but the but the law, or at least the the policy, is 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 different, right? Okay. Now, so this executive director of the Children's Service Agency said. While this outcome is not what we hope for, we are committed to providing support to the many members of the LGBTQ community, LGBTQ plus community, who want to open their hearts and their homes. To your point, you know, we talked about that most states do actually, like Michigan, contract with private agencies, etc. Right now, in doing so, in, in making this this um, you know the settling this lawsuit, the state actually referenced the judgment by the Supreme Court on a very similar case. Right, so just this past year. The Supreme Court found that the city of Philadelphia had violated the First Amendment rights of a Catholic adoption and foster care agency when the city refused to work with the agency right. until they agreed to place children with same-sex couples. That's the one I was right? referencing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Courage or Cringe, protecting the rights of religious-based organizations to operate by their faith or state and SCOTUS giving free license to discriminate as long as you can claim religious exemption. Mm, okay. Um, I mean, because in a way, this could be a very simple thing, which is, look, uh, the Supreme Court has set the precedent – I may not agree with it, but you have to apply fairly across all yeah. the jurisdictions, right? So in that yeah, case, yeah. Yeah, let's put that one aside because I think that's a, you're right. That's that's the easy one. Supreme Court has ruled it's an extremely yeah. similar case. It makes sense based on rule that they will follow. I think the question for me in this one is, and I'd love to get your take on this, sure. Charlie. Is like when I when I when I read this, I understand the practical side of it, right? All people feeling like we strongly believe in our faith and we want to make sure that these children have an opportunity to grow up in that faith, and therefore. By doing that, you need to exclude people that are, do not adhere to our faith. Yeah, it's even trickier right? than that. Like, I'm, I'm giving yeah. maybe my, my layman's version of it, yeah, right? Yeah, I hear you. The challenge that I have is, that's actually what I phrase it, but by doing that, you really are putting in a situation where very legally you're saying it's okay to discriminate certain people as long as you can you can claim a, a, a religious exemption. What if I had a different kind of religion mm-hmm. that that you know suited people that weren't born into my religion? So therefore, people that were from other places can never you know adopt, or for certain countries can, can can adopt or couldn't foster. I get really nervous when I when I see this kind of law. And frankly, I think it 
part of the reason I get nervous is like, isn't that to me like the whole point of why separate church and, uh, church and state? Mm-hmm. And this is, and I so I struggled a lot with this. And, and, there, the, and the, maybe the third point for me yeah. in this one, which yeah. some of the two, for, and I think you could speak to better than I can because you have a direct experience with, with some of some of this, will be is like, what about all those kids that are still left? Sure. Unadopted, right? Yeah. That are that are not being in, in foster. That are, actually that remain this kind of foster home kind of system. And which don't is get not the a good system. Which is not, right? And don't get the opportunity to live with a family that loves them mm-hmm. simply because that family loves them may not agree with some of the views that the organization is trying to place them sure. has. So it's it's all of that. The so part, so where you have a really good point and an interesting one is about the degree to which there should be some separation of church and state on this one. And generally speaking, I'm very sympathetic to that to that thought process because I believe that when – Christian organizations specifically, which is the case here, get involved with the government, they take on a certain, you know, a certain whatever profile that puts them into really tricky spots much more often. And you could say, look, the easy step is just don't work with the government. And I think you know, so that so there is a very interesting right. point they make. And about some that. do, right? I mean, that's the, and, the choice on some organizations. Exactly. To make. Now, the part that's trickier than the than the the, the way, the way you phrased the it, way huh? you phrased it, which even is going to confound you even more. Okay, is that this isn't about the kids being Catholic or or agreeing to Catholic beliefs or even being raised Catholics because that's not what the Catholic adoption agencies do. In many cases, they'll put kids in Protestant, atheist. It doesn't really matter. That's but what is it at the heart of this is whether or not they're going to voluntarily um, uh, place a child in a home that has a same-sex couple bringing them up, irrespective of whether or not that child is raised Catholic or has any belief whatsoever. So it's even trickier than what you said. Why? Oh, that's oh, I've never heard of that. Oh, absolutely. This why, isn't about maintaining would... the Catholic identity of the kid at all. I mean, look, I'm, I'm saying they would probably say that's preferable. I'd yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, But I, that's not I how they do that. it. Now, in this case... Oh yeah, you, you gotta walk me through, walk me through the off the ledge on this one. Yeah, <laughs> what, like especially let, let's for, for let's let's put Protestants and other other Christian based religions kind of out, out of the equation. Okay, you say they're close enough. Sure, you know, it's, yeah, whatever. But like, let's have an example of an atheist, right? Mm-hmm. Like atheists, because when I think of the issue that someone in a Catholic organization has with someone that is that is in, in a same sex couple, mm-hmm. is that they believe that they're, I'm guessing here, that their beliefs, that their way of life just contradicts what the church teaches. And therefore, you can't be okay with putting a kid in a situation like that where you openly know that someone is 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 not living up to what the church teaches, right? Yes. Okay. Broadly speaking. Broadly yes. speaking, broadly mm-hmm. speaking, right? Yep. So how is that different than atheists? If someone is now, maybe you say I don't know if they're atheists, mm-hmm. so so that's okay. But, but let's say someone is openly, and that is part of it. Yeah, that maybe they that's don't, part that of they it. Don't, you don't, there's not a litmus test for religiosity. To, but someone to, is to, openly to atheist. Yeah, well, like I don't believe in God at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like why would I, I guess maybe that falls on people that maybe not be married, but you can still be married. You know, it's, right, and still be right. atheist. Like, mm-hmm. how how does that? And look, I, how does it, that one square? I mean, I, I'm really curious. Well, it squares in a couple different ways. One one because there is a hierarchy of things, right? So. Okay. It's not like everything that is against the the teachings of the faith or against traditional Christianity is equal. So like as an example, there's the Ten Commandments, right? It's like God's top ten. Those are like really big ones, right? If you go and you, you know, speed on the highway, technically that's not right, but it's not equivalent to killing someone. Right. There's a hierarchy of things, right? A hierarchy of goods and a hierarchy of evils. So that's one thing that gets at a, at a sort of operating principle of why certain things could be allowed and others not. Second, there are things that are intrinsic and things that are extrinsic. A person's faith walk, like say, I'm, you know, look, I believe in God, but I don't have any particular religion. My wife and I want to adopt a kid. 
you're an agency that has a child available. We fulfill all the other requirements. Yeah. That's different than I'm I'm in a same sex relationship, and from the that's an uh, a um, a uh, just forgot the words that I use, but that is something that is like factually, ontologically happening, irrespective of whether or not you're on a journey or whatever, it is right now the reality that you are in a same-sex relationship with somebody else, right? So those are different... Why would an atheist fall in the same category? Because that person could be on a journey. That Everybody has a faith journey, right? So we all start off with some level of belief, and that changes over time, right? So so there, there are different things at the level of kind of their nature. One, one could be an evolution. One is an objective reality that's in front of me right now, right? One is a potential, the other one is a reality. Like so mm-hmm. that's the that's the real answer to it. Now that can satisfy or not, but right, that's right, right. that's the reality. That's at least the logic. That's at least the logic. So okay. so and and the other thing that I would say is I'm not suggesting that there's people who work at these Catholic organizations who when a Catholic couple comes in, they don't go, Oh good, that's awesome. That I really <laughs> and I want the kid to go up Catholic. But ultimately yeah, yeah. it's like think of it as a food bank, right? A Catholic food bank doesn't just give food to Catholics, right? People who work in homeless ministry, like I do, like we don't I don't just work with homeless Catholics. Right? right, I'm I'm acting my life as a Catholic with these sets of beliefs in whatever the environment is that I'm in, and that's the way that these guys operate as well. So let me tell you the principle that's at, that's at play here, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately I'm a courage on this one. Um, the main principle at play, and again, these are things that can that that you know may not satisfy, but the okay. main principle is that we're not talking about the rights of adults, but we're talking about the rights of children, and I think mm-hmm. that's a fundamental yep. starting point where. What the church believes and tries to operate by in its official work and also in its agencies and everything like that is that children have a right to their mother and to their father. That's the fundamental principle that's at play, and that's the reason why we don't just take kids from their biological parents, even if that kid could be raised in a different way by somebody else and in a better way by somebody else. And that happens all the time. Yeah. Just to use as an example from my own life, I work with you know these displaced families all the time. I'm working with one now. We're like single mom, four kids, and every time that I interact with them, I'm like, oh my gosh, these kids are being, they're not being raised properly. There's all kinds. There's like you know just the way that they live is right. not ideal. And you could make a case like, well, look, I could raise them better. I know a hundred couples that could raise them better, but the but the the child has a right not to parents but to their parents right that's like the initial fundamental right now sure. in, in some cases that just doesn't work out and in other cases the parents can be unfit and then the state comes mm-hmm. in and actually you know removes them right so i think at the at the very you know sort of principle it's that kids deserve a relationship and have a right to their own parents and the way that the church views it is that in the absence of those original parents, right, the the man and woman who actually procreated these children, that the best next thing should be the option, which is another set of parents, right, female, male, together in a relationship, Mm -hmm. because that affords the child the closest to what should be the, the, what, what their rights deserve, what their rights command, a relationship and being with a mother and father. That's, fundamentally what this all is right. about from a teaching what standpoint what the, um, yeah, the position is yeah i think i mean it, it just depends on how you look at this question because my orientation in this scenario would be is that what i what i think that the children rights is is to live in a loving home i mean mm-hmm. I, that's, I think a big part of the problem is that whether it's with the biological parents or adoptive parents or anyone else frankly is the kind of life that a kid will live just has so much to do with the kind of environment that they're in 
and whether those parents are, you know, are loving, supportive, et cetera, right? Because we've all known people that have grown up with, with their own parents in a really messed up home of situation. Of course. And maybe in some cases they end up homeless, in some cases they end up in, in foster care, et cetera. Regardless of what level of religiosity that person have or that those parents have. And, and I think that's the part where I feel like it gets lost in this conversation is, the, is that being more the litmus test is being a loving home. Uh, mm-hmm. For 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 these children, which is why I I struggle when I see something like this for the issues that I already mentioned, and and when you think about this community, you know, I I, I take it away from the community and more from the individuals. Like, are these people that are generally going to do everything in their power to like be supportive of this kid, try to give them a good life, be there for them, and is that a better situation or a worse situation than them staying in the in the foster care system, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the question could be like, okay, between two different sets of parents, one that is men and women, one that is two men or two women, maybe the question is, okay, which of those scenarios is a better scenario for this kid and where they are, et cetera? Okay, fair. Sure. But, but, but I think what I struggle with, like, no, 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 you are disqualified from even participating in this, in this conversation because regardless of how loving of a home you can create an environment supportive, we just don't think that you should even participate in this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And kind of a little bit to, to the next topic, which is you're not the most qualified, even though we're actually not looking for the most qualified. We're looking for, let's start with whether or not you're a man and a woman and you're married, and then let's go with that. Yeah. No, it's, See what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's sure. what I struggle that's with. That's an interesting point. And by the way, the argument that there are a lot of opposite sex couples that are waiting and there's an available to, uh, supply there is actually true. There's about 2 million opposite sex couples that are waiting to sure. adopt. The other thing that's interesting about this this topic, just last point, is that we're really not talking about the vast majority of kids because the vast majority of kids who are adopted are actually older kids that are in the foster care system. Where this really reaches a fever pitch is around um, newborn or infants or very mm. young children of which it's... A are sick- there different rules for when they're older? Well, it's not necessarily that there are different rules. It's just that a lot of the conversation seems to be about this little baby and giving the baby the loving home. But that's like 10% of the kids that are actually available for adoption and the vast majority of them are older kids, teenagers, Which, that kind of thing that are in the foster my, care system. You would know better, but it's my understanding that the older they are, the harder it is for them to get adopted. It is. Right? And that's kind of – I will go with the same dynamic, right? If there is an opportunity to have this, this kid who will otherwise get passed over by the system yeah. to get adopted – I, I, and see, my point. I struggle with that, right? You should. You should struggle. I don't know. I don't know how but, that's a better outcome and, and of not putting him in a, in a loving home. In those two scenarios, see what I'm like, in those two scenarios, but those a lot of those these things could be false dilemmas too. Because in in the in the context of those two choices, then I can definitely see the the point being made. I would agree with you that I think to the extent of those two million opposite sex parents that are wanting to adopt, that have set the restrictions so finely around it's got to be zero to six months old. I think that is a shame. I really do, because a huge number of those two million opposite uh, sex parents that are waiting yeah. to adopt are not interested in adopting a four, well, five, yeah, eight-year-old. I that. think that's wrong. I really that's, do. That's, that's Yeah. Okay. But that's a, almost – it's like a separate That is a separate uh, issue. Question. But all of these become – yeah, but it also puts you in the same position where you have certain kids that are more desirable. Let's call them that. By a lot more sort of parents. You have other kids that are being going to be left, left in the system, not going to be adopted. And at the same time, we're literally excluding – and frankly, I don't know what as a percentage how many parents are same-sex versus those that are – maybe it's a really small percentage. Maybe we're talking about you know a percent, two. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, a, just, it's, it's a minority. Kind of a, it's not, yeah, I would yeah. assume it's a, a yeah. minority, but it's just kind of a shame that if, if a kid sits there not being adopted because we're taking people out of the equation that would be willing. Now, if they're in the same category, we're like, yeah, yeah, but we only want a baby, then okay, you're not really helping here. And there's you're, probably a good share I'm sure of there is some of that, yeah. but you're saying like you're yeah. – then we're adding – we have too much demand. 
uh, not enough supply here kind of situation. So it sounds know. like you're a cringe then. I'm this. cringe for that reason, yeah. and I just I, I, I feel for those kids. I think at the end of the day, I don't know. You know, hopefully it's you know you don't have kids that are impacted in that way, but it's just kind of hard to believe that you're not going to have some that will fall in that category. Yeah, I'm a huge, being, huge being, uh, adopted. I'm a huge believer in adoption. I am an adoptive parent, and uh, I encourage it. And I think people need to just kind of. Check a little bit of that privilege at the door in terms of right. like it's going to be this like idyllic infant bouncing baby boy or girl or whatever and just kind of open your eyes because that's like a very small percentage of who's actually in need out there. And to that, we definitely agree. All right. What's next? All right. Let's uh, let's finish strong here. Courage or cringe. Biden commits nominating nation's first black female Supreme Court justice as he honors retiring uh, Breyer. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. So this happened now, I guess, what, two weeks ago? A week and a half ago? Well, brother, he right? originally made the commitment made on the enough- campaign trail. Yes, but uh, the, at least the recent announcement, right? Yes. When, when uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer announced that he was stepping down, Correct. President Joe Biden committed, right, to nominating the first the nation's first black female Supreme Court justice, something that, to your point, he actually has said while he was in the campaign trail. Now, to this, he said, the person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and, inter- and integrity. Mm. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue, in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. Right? The president said that selection process will be rigorous and that he will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. Mm. Right? So you had immediately, of course, civil rights leaders who praised the decision um, that basically Biden is looking to deliver on the campaign you know, promise that he had made. Uh, but it also resulted, as, as expected, as a immediate outcry by a number of conservative media pundits and, and some Republicans, right? So I, I brought in a couple of examples. Sure. Just, Senator Ted Cruz said the fact that he's willing to make a promise at the outset that it must be a black woman, I got to say that's offensive. You know, you know black women are, what, 6% of the U.S. population? He's saying to 94% of Americans, I don't give a damn about you. You are ineligible. And he's also saying it's actually an insult to black women. If he came and said, I'm going to put the best jurists on the court— and he looked at a number of people, and he ended up nominating a black woman. He could clearly say, "Okay, I'm nominating the person who's most qualified." He's not even pretending to say that he's, you know, that he's saying that. If you're a white guy, tough luck. If you're a white woman, tough luck. You don't qualify, right? Yeah. Uh, Sean Hannity said, "I'm saying this fully acknowledging that there are definitely qualified people in all backgrounds, all races, all religions, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, but there's never been a president that has made race and gender the defining factor. That's mm. the difference here, mm. right? And then you had Tucker Carlson, right, mm-hmm. which is, he comes over the top hard. Uh, where is Biden's Pacific Islander nominee? Why isn't there an American Indian on the court or genderqueer or someone with a chronic fatigue syndrome community <laughs> or a justice with cognitive disabilities? Why isn't there an Afghan refugee under consideration? Uh, he also say, you know, that he was ignoring the obvious choice of Bridget Floyd, who's the sister of George Floyd. So she's not a judge or lawyer or whatever. But in this case, who cares? Clearly, that's not the point anymore. <laughs> This law stuff, you know. Um, now, I did find this, that was interesting. In case you're wondering if this was the first time that a president uh, who was nominated for a vacant seat was, was basically committing to fill the seat with a woman, it's actually not, right? So you had President Donald Trump, uh, who most recently vowed to nominate a woman to replace the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then appointed you know, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, right? And then you also had decades earlier, President Ronald Reagan who has said if he were elected, he would nominate the first woman to the Supreme Court, right? And then Reagan followed through by nominating Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Correct. So, courage or cringe, President Biden aiming to bring much-needed representation to the Supreme Court 
or nomination no longer about qualification, but rather identity that best supports political agendas. Yeah, it's interesting how like, you know, people, this is about threading a needle to my mind, and that should be the the kind of healthy outcome to this conversation. Where I, 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 I hear the quote that you did of Ted Cruz, and in hearing his argument, I kind of feel, I, I feel that what he said makes some sense, but it's a little bit too far beyond what I think could be a, a threading of the needle concept here. Because he's basically, the, the principle that he's articulating is, it'd be great if we end up with a black female judge, but consider a broad swath of people and then announce that as the result of a process, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. And in a lot of respects, I actually agree with that. However, however, the thing that I also agree with, and I think is a good practice in general, is to ensure that the qualification and candidate pool looks and is, from an ideological, race, economic background standpoint, like the country does. And if you stop at the Ted Cruz argument, you don't ensure that that actually happens, or at least it's not automatic that it does. Because I could be looking for a set of very qualified people that all come from Yale and all have the same background and all are the same color and all, you know, I could say they're all super qualified. So it doesn't really get you to that end. So. I think the statement that Biden made about I'm going to pick somebody who's eminently qualified, a phenomenal jurist, and it's going to be a black female is literally, and this may surprise you, is literally the perfect statement, however, Mm -hmm. made at the wrong time, in my opinion. In my opinion, that is the statement that you say when you've made the selection right? because you've looked at the broad pool, including black females and Pacific Islanders and throw in some of Tucker's people – and then you come out at the other end and you say, and that's why I've, ch- I've chosen this. I think that that would have been phenomenal. So here's a couple things in the background. Mm-hmm. Number one is that an ABC News poll, which you may have seen in, in one of these stories, literally of U.S. adults, right? More than 75% of respondents said that Biden should consider all possible nominees instead of only considering nominees who are black women, as he's pledged to do, right? Mm-hmm. Even 54% of Democrats said that they would prefer Biden take a wide net approach. So there is this, this dynamic of people thinking, feeling, wanting, whatever, for people to just look at a variety of things and then come to that, to that conclusion. But again, to my earlier point, when you look at this wide net, I'm not convinced that the wide net is thrown in the right way. I think it's thrown in like Yale, Princeton, Harvard, and whatever. And I think that gives us a lot of what we've had, which I don't agree with. I do think that the court should be representative of the people that are in the country. Yeah. The most interesting person to me in all of this is uh, Representative James, uh, Jim Clyburn, the guy who actually got Biden to make the pledge on um, nominating a black female to the Supreme Court. So you know that, right? So in the in the campaign trail, when he made the pledge, it was because uh, Senator, I'm sorry, Congressman Jim Clyburn from South Carolina, uh, in a debate, was basically like asked him to kind of step up because he's like, I'd love to see when he's like, okay, well, why don't you commit to it? And he did. He literally committed to oh, it like, right then and there. I, right? I didn't know that. So 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 there's that. What's interesting about him is that when he, when Biden said um, earlier that he wanted to nominate a black. Uh, fee- or 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 partner with a black female was when he was picking Kamal, his vice president, his running mate. And at that time, Clyburn said that having a black woman as a vice presidential candidate is a plus, but not a must. That position seemed to evolve a little bit for him because now he's very much about, you know, it's, it, it should mm. be a must. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But, that is interesting. But look, what I think is, it, it, you know, I think ultimately on this story and the way that Biden did it, I'm a cringe. I think the outcome is notable and it's worthwhile, but I really worry about these women being tokenized after they've been picked 
as the reason I'm there, it's kind of the proverbial affirmative argument, affirmative yeah. action argument. The only reason I'm there is because of the color of my skin. And I think it completely discounts him as, as jurists. I would have much rather Biden said exactly what he said, but said it after he picked it. And then maybe even explain the process. Look, here's how I went about this. I looked at this wide swath of people. I made sure that we had black women. I made sure that we had all these different people because I think that's important. And from that, I picked the best jurist that I could find. And wow, it's amazing. We have our first black female ju- uh, justice. I- I, I think th- that would have yeah. been awesome. No, I, I get that. So that's I, and I can even get the reaction to it. The the part that I that I sort of get hung up on when I look at this story is that when was the last time that a that a, that a Supreme Court justice was that the most qualified person was was picked? I don't know. Probably never. I would say, I would think. And the reason I say that is because these nominations, which is what they are, they're all about having the right profile of person that that president is looking Correct. to put in that will be most supportive of whatever agenda they have, right? It is not a mistake. It is not by coincidence. It's not a mistake because it's the most qualified that Judge Amy Comey Barrett became the nominee and then eventually the, the Supreme Court judge. It was who's going to replace Ruth, you know, Gator... Um, Bader Ginsburg. Bader Ginsburg, oh, sorry. Which should probably be a woman, mm-hmm. but they need to have a very specific kind of ideology that mm-hmm. I really agree with that could be most supportive to to pushing forward conservative ideology. So you're saying there's always so, politics so, in so it. So when I hear saying. that this is not about people like going up there like the most qualified, like shut the hell up. What were you talking about? Like, well, why, why are we picking a woman? Why does she have to have conservative ideology? Why are we looking at at the most qualified people? And if you, at the end of that you come back with like maybe it is going to be a woman that is has yeah. conservative ideology, then great, that is the most qualified. That is not the case. And by the way, let's be honest. If this was the opposite, if it was Trump picking someone, and and you will have people on the left saying making very similar kind of arguments. But I, I do. It does bother me that when you're having situations, when you're trying to, to your point, be proactive about addressing obvious gaps in representation, the whole question about qualification comes up immediately. Mm-hmm. That that the moment you do that, then you're not going to find the most quali- qualified person. Yeah. And, and I think that is a a falsehood of thinking about it, thinking about it this way. Now, it is up to, you know, that committee that is going to be looking at individuals to do find qualified people because you're right. You're not just going to walk into a store and be like, hey, we'll take you. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, st- step in there. But to me, it's just so... Uh, it, it's such a political statement that I, I like. I cringe when I hear it because I think about all the other appointments, and there's never a case where it's about the most qualified person. It's never. It's just never the case. Right. We're having a very different dy- dynamic, but a similar outcome in the NFL, where now we have one African American coach in the entire league, mm-hmm. in a league that seventy percent of the of the athletes are, are African American, but yet somehow only one of them can make it to head coach. And the question is always the same thing. Yeah, but we're looking for the most qualified person. Yeah, no, I get that. But playing the sport is probably a pretty big indicator of being qualified that becomes a coach that ends, ends up being in that pool to become, become head coach. And somehow you get a 30% of the pool, they have an outsized impact of becoming head coaches than, than the 70% of the population that goes through this league. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's something wrong and even there. Though, even though it's one now, it was six just even last year, but even that is a, is a question mark. And we've but talked that was, about that on the show. By the way, as of right now, breaking news, Brian Flores is suing the Giants. Mm. Uh, for uh, for uh, discrimination. Oh, really? Uh, in the hiring process. Yeah, 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 switch. Miami Dolphins ex-coach Brian Flores filed a class action suit against the NFL and three teams, or three teams, alleging black coaches are discriminated against in hiring. Hmm. So that's going to get even more interesting. Afro Latino too. Yeah, on top he of is Afro Latino. Yeah. So, so let me let me let me qualify one thing and see if it changes your perspective okay. on this. What I mean by the broadest qualifications. I am assuming an ideological bent is being factored into this. Newt Gingrich actually came out very recently with a tweet and said, 
just like when Trump picked conservative people that were qualified, you, meaning Republicans, can't get bent out of shape for Biden picking a liberal that is qualified. Like he was very clear about that. Mm -hmm. I am not saying by qualifications that ideological consideration is not part of it. I take that for granted in in my calculus. What I'm saying is that to say I'm going to focus on the process being inclusive and the outcome being announced rather than announcing the outcome before the process happens. Yeah, and, I, and I'm making the comparison in the A, the fact that it is always has a very clear agenda of who yeah, the profile you're, you. you're going to hire. Yeah. You're, you're going to nominate and hire, I'm sorry. Yeah. And in the case of, of, of President Trump saying, yeah, I'm going to have conservative, and it's going to be a woman specifically before. So so to Ted Cruz's point, all white men, all all other, all men, not just white men, yeah. were out of the equation day one. Anyone that didn't have a very conservative lens was out of the equation day one. So like, what, what are we talking about? This is what, what the nomination has always and, been. And that, that's the part that just kills me. I don't see why this couldn't just be so simply said by like, look, we're going to look at men, women of every ethnicity. We're going to actually take a special interest in people who right. have and this the background. candidates that have the, Yeah, I agree like, with that. Like, why, why couldn't we do something that. like that? Um, so where, so where, where are you then? I am uh, – I'm cringe. You're cringe on this. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm cringe Well, too. I guess I'm, I'm courage on Biden. I'll take it back. I'm courage on Biden and taking a stance. I do agree with you that I kind of wish he did a little bit different in the way he went about it. But I think if this means more representation in that Supreme Court, even if the way they do, do it is not the best way to do it, I'm actually for the outcome. Yeah. That leaning too much in the process and then having the same kind of outcome that we normally have, which is a white dude on the Supreme Court. Gotcha. Last point. What do you make of Biden's – historic opposition to Clarence Thomas, black man, and then he actually filibustered and then voted against uh, Janice Rogers Brown, a black woman, for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals when he was a senator, who was also on a short list for Supreme Court if a vacancy came up. She was a black woman. He voted against him and filibustered both of those candidates. Well, I think to your point is ideology goes first in all of these. Yeah. Let's be clear about that. Let's right? be honest about Let's that. Let's be honest about that. That goes first in anything else because you're not going to nominate someone that is that is of diverse background that has the complete opposite view that what you have. So I don't I don't take it as uh, – in this case, I, I understand from a political standpoint that you will always look at ideology as the number one lever. Mm-hmm. And then other factors, right? Other factors in terms of who they are, makeup, et cetera. If you think they bring a certain kind of experience that, that is needed in, in, in the Supreme Court. So that's why I don't put too much on that on that stock. I would if they were of liberal ideology and qualified and diverse. Then I would have a much bigger issue with it. Mm. That makes sense? That makes sense to me. All, All right. right. So, uh, so yeah, lots. <laughs> we, we, we went a little long. Uh, I think the It's a two-parter. Rogan... It's a two-parter. No. I'm going to no, take no. vacation next week. Right? Oh, we'll is that what it is? Okay. Well, maybe, maybe we'll, it is going to be a two-parter. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But, uh, no, definitely a worthwhile conversation and a lot still more to be said. Always a pleasure. Jesus, we got actually some really fun, exciting guests coming up. I talked about Bobby Spears, uh, junior actor, author, uh, filmmaker. We also have Chris Hahn coming on the show soon. Chris Hahn, actually, I, I can't wait for you to ask him about all his uh, conversations he used to have with Tucker Carlson. Mm. It'd be fascinating to, to actually have him. So definitely stay tuned fun. for those shows upcoming. We're glad to be back in the studio together um, doing the show. Anything else, Jesus? No, that's it. All right, my friends. Keep listening to the show. Keep sharing it with your friends. We'll see you again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. 
tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.